So we've talked about incidents and accidents and some, and we've kind of hinted about like what happened of what happens when investigations start and just how anal it can be. But we never actually went over like the actual process. And then what's some of the things you should do when there's an actual investigation going. So for us in the aviation realm, we already know this and some uh, transportation crews like truckers and stuff, they kind of have an idea, but the national uh, transportation safety board or NTSB, when they start an investigation, everybody's hairs start standing up because when they get involved, you know, some people are probably going to be let go or in jail or both. <laughs> yeah. Typically there's also loss of life once they get involved too. It's pretty, pretty in depth process because it was such a severe or tragic accident. Right. So some people may ask you like, well, what warrants the national transport safety board or the NTSB to get involved in an accident or incident? And there's a, a lot of, heavy hitter stuff that needs to happen. Uh, one of it is like loss of life, serious injury to people, or like say if property damage to both the asset and the stuff that it hit was in excess of $25,000 or more, which in the case of a plane, if a plane even just barrels down the runway with a broken gear, that technically would cost $25,000. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, uh, say depending on the type of aircraft in our case like uh if there was ever a time when it had loss of electronic def- systems if it had loss of uh power thrust systems hydraulic certain hydraulics or if people had to evacuate the aircraft for whatever reason that's like instant ntsb involvement like just about instant so what goes into the process of in, of an ntsb investigation um first of all they they, a determination needs to be made of when they, if they should investigate. And we kind of go in, went into that a little bit. If there's a loss of life, if depending on the type of plane, if there was certain loss of, of, a, of a particular system or if people had to leave the plane, then all that, that's like an instant um, go, green light for them to come through. And then uh, we mentioned on, in some episodes about, like, say, criminal activity. If some criminal activity is involved, like, say, counterfeit parts or selling of uh, high, well, overpassed or past due high time parts, then we have other entities involved, like, say, the FBI, um, depending on what it is, and other, like, um, investigative authorities outside of the NTSB. Yeah, depending uh, on if there's other countries involved or whatever else. Cause for the longest time, right. When six had mentioned, you know, the selling of high time components, uh, there was a big problem happening here from, uh, the U S and Europe to, uh, central and South America. A lot of high time parts are getting installed on aircraft down there. And then just wreck after wreck after wreck or incident after incident. It's just, it was a big problem for a long time. Yes. And then depending on, uh, the incident, some of them may have occurred on the, in the water. Um, some of them in international waters in cases like that, then the coast guard would get involved too, because that's part of their purview. And, uh, before is it, they, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, before actually, um, the U S coast guard today is part of department of Homeland security. But before that, I think this was pre 2001, 
they used to be part of Department of Transportation. So, um, and anything involving like uh, transactions or transporting of goods or or accidents on the water would be part of the U.S. Coast Guard's uh, purview. Hence the gunships and stuff. <laughs> I think we've seen uh, certain movies like I think it was uh, Lord of War with Nicolas Cage where the Coast Guard was like hemming them up because they were a foreign military with su- with suspect guns or foreign materials <laughs> on their ship. Off track, but that's the thing. <laughs> well, I'm going to keep us off track for a second. What was that video that came out? Was it last year where it showed this Coast Guard rolling up on like a uh, a very not well made submarine. And oh, they jumped yeah. on the back of that and like kick pounding on the hatch and guns drawn and get to get out, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. I think it was uh, a submarine carrying drugs over from Cuba or something like that. I, yeah. I don't remember, but yeah, I was I don't like, remember. holy shit. I didn't realize the Coast Guard went, went, went like that. Oh, yeah, man. Co- uh, people think the Coast Guard is just like a knockoff version of the U.S. Navy, but they're, they're, there's some heavy hitters in there, man. Um, uh, some of them were prior special forces, and I'm sure they do something to the effect of those drug seizures and stuff. It's kind of um, it's one of those uh, lesser known secrets of the air quote secrets of the Coast Guard, <laughs> but they do roll like that, and they do come in guns drawn and all that too. Uh, but uh, for the most part, everyone just thinks of them as the knockoff Navy. And um, there's some jokes between the other services that the Coast Guard doesn't even count as a service. <laughs> I think they make those jokes in that um, show with Steve Carell on Netflix, Space Force. Space Force, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're all the generals are sitting around. They're all talking shit to the one Coast Guard guy. <laughs> I was like, so you're under us? Like, no, they're still above you. <laughs> <laughs> A freaking monkey astronaut is, is higher ranking <laughs> than the Coast Guard. <laughs> um, so uh, with the... Uh, process with the NTSB a lot of this stuff that they do is non-linear so a lot of phases uh, overlap with each other um, so besides like the the decision to investigate they also do um, on-site fact gathering they do analysis of the facts to determine probable cause they publish uh, a final report and then they advocate or recommend certain safety uh, measures to make sure it doesn't happen again um, this is just wave topping a lot of the stuff that he do. Uh, but going on to the part, the part that gets everyone nervous is the on-site facts gathering. <laughs> yeah. And, um, well, I guess we should probably start off with, uh, the first one, right. Decision mm-hmm. to launch, which I think he kind of already went over that a little bit. So talking about what, what would call them out, but, uh, just as the phase begins with when uh, NTSB is notified of a transportation accident <clears throat> or a modal leader uh, and modal leadership, man, say that five times fast. Modal leadership mm-hmm. decides to launch an investigation. Um, it's immediate aftermath of the accident. Some instances are uh, the involvement will come as critical safety issues are identified in the investigation by another authority. For, yeah, like you said, for the Marines, the Coast Guard. Sorry, I'm I'm back. I'm I'm kind of backtracking here a little bit. No worries. Um, accredited representative. The NTSB oh. will assist the investigation as an accredited. So that's if like it, it's in a foreign thing. That's interesting. Yep. 
Now, now what goes into a notification, right? Some of you might be asking, like, what goes into the notification to NTSB? It's like, okay, we're launching, right? Aside from the fact that there was an incident, uh, it goes into what the type of aircraft it was, who's it registered to, who owns the plane, who who's operating the plane, uh, the names of the crew members uh, involved with the accident, uh, the people who led up, who were involved in the in the aircraft up to the accident, the date and time it happened, uh, the last point of departure and the intended landing areas, things of that nature. It even goes into like what was the weather like <laughs> when the accident happened, because that plays a factor too in aviation. And then or moving even, even ships too, right? Yes. A hurricane coming through somewhere, you know? Yes. And then depending on what the plane is, like say if it was a military plane, what kind of explosives were on the plane? Was there any uh, radioactive material or other dangerous stuff? Because depending on the aircraft, uh, say a military aircraft, there may be some uh, depleted radioactive materials that are on the plane. Or there's some like it's radioactive, but not extremely like uh, certain, certain radioactive materials uh, keep the plane operating, but they they have like anti-clotting uh, properties and stuff like that. So moving on to like the, the part that gets everybody nervous is the on-site or on-scene fact gathering. Uh, during this phase, the NTASB investigators will gather data and information needed to analyze the accident. Uh, this includes where the team will travel to the site and then they'll they'll perform interviews on all the people involved in the accident, uh, the ones that are not seriously injured, obviously. Uh, and they'll investigate the accident itself. They'll investigate the logs, the records. They'll investigate the team members that are involved. And this is also going in the lines. I'm kind of wave topping this, but whenever an investigation has been decided, a decision has been made to launch. Everything that was involved with that accident gets locked up. The logbooks, the crew members, the people, uh, the support equipment, all that. Yeah, I think even the people who worked on the on the aircraft in this specific instance, I think even they're on on hiatus from work. Yes, uh, until the investigation clears, depending on the severity of it. But they, you you might be <clears throat> sort of uh, stuck in your home. Uh, yes. And you'll be called upon to conduct the interviews. You know, when the interviews are being conducted, you'll be questioned, all that kind of stuff. And then if you're determined not to be a factor, uh, you could probably be released to work at that point. But if you were determined to be a factor due to negligence or whatever else, you're probably going to prison. Yes. And that they also uh, uh, lock up your the training records of everybody involved, licenses of everybody involved, all that stuff. Anything that could have potentially have led up to that accident, even to the point of, or did you get enough sleep that day or the night before we'll get called into question and all that gets locked up and preserved because they don't want people tampering with evidence. And it has happened before, especially like with our previous scenario where people were counter were selling high time parts. They would say something along the lines like, oh, these were destroyed, but they won't, they don't have the records saying that, you know, it's to kind of blur that line between like, for, for resale ability or something of that effect. So the on-site team, they're on the, or the investigation team, they're on-site. They're going to start doing their facts gathering. Uh, depending on what organization or the severity of the incident, they may or, or will require the, each crew member and everybody involved to make a statement, like a, a written 
statement of facts of what happened, what were you doing, who, what, when, where, why, all that, all that stuff. And they may require you to take a drug test. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, it might I not think- even be, uh, I, I've watched guys who, who were involved in a towing incident and damage occurred to the aircraft in a towing incident and they still had to go get a uh, P test done. Yeah. And your analysis. And I think, uh, depending on some organizations, if you refuse to take a drug test, you're instantly guilty. <laughs> you know, like, I believe you're right. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a legit thing. Like, uh, you're oh, just you refuse to do it. Then you're admitting, you're admitting you were wrong. You were wrong or you, yeah. you did something wrong. Now that sounds very extreme. And in some cases it is, but depending on the severity of the accident and you're kind of narrowing it down to, okay, these number of people may have been a root cause in the effect. And they say like, well, I refuse to take a drug test. Like, oh, that kind of, in, in a logical person's mind is like, well, okay, so if you're refusing, that's kind of like admitting guilt at that point. And in some cases it does. Or if they don't uh, immediately pin you as guilty, they'll just say, okay, well, since you refuse to take a drug test, you are now suspended from flying. You're suspended from working on aircraft. You're suspended from doing any type of work related to your job until we've determined that the incident wasn't caused by you. So you're kind of blacklisting yourself uh, almost for, for a certain period of time. I won't say permanent, but for a certain period of time, just because you refuse to take a drug test. And that might be that period of time might be six months or more. Yes. Or until the investigation closes, which. Uh, it can take anywhere from 12 months to three years, depending on what it is. Right. Yep. So imagine like you're not able to work or you're suspended from aviation work for up to three years or more, depending on what it is. Yeah. Your livelihood, <laughs> right? Yes. Right. Now, I don't know about some people, but um, aviation pays really good. And to, to not be able to do that for three years can suck. <laughs> and, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who has three years worth of savings built up. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe definitely. maybe maybe Jeff Bezos and and some others, but nobody that I know personally. <laughs> right, same here. <laughs> now, a part of the facts gathering is the interviews, and that's where you get questioned for every possible thing involving that uh, incident. It can go as deep as what were you doing. Uh, where did you get enough sleep the night before? Did you drink at all the night before? Did you did you were, did you fight with your spouse? Were the kids? You know, were you distracted? What were your distractions? Right? It's like going. If anybody ever sat through a polygraph, or if anyone has ever sat through a polygraph, it's one of those. And if you if you say a response that piques their interest, then they'll deep dive that one response to get as much info out of you as out of you as possible. Yes. Absolutely. And that's the part where people start cracking because depending on the timeline of when the incident occurred to the time you were involved, it could have been days or weeks even depending. And some of that information you don't remember. And so when they start asking these questions, it starts like implying guilt into your brain. So you start like wondering if you really did or didn't do certain things. And it's like, did you, you were involved in this and that I'm like, fuck was I, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Did I do that? I mean, yeah, they can start making you believe like you, 
you did anything, you did that stuff. Oh, okay. You know, they'll, they'll even look at to like, okay, you're the maintainer. What was your relationship with the air crew? Like, you know, if you, Oh, we, we you know, talking with so-and-so we heard you, you and the, you and the pilot had an argument in the break room the other day. Could that have led to your decision as to why you malpractice, whatever uh, malpractice maintenance and cause this uh, plane to crash, hurting uh, pilot so-and-so severely or stuff like that. I mean, it, it gets very, very in-depth. Right. And so for our recommendation with that is just be open and honest, give short, direct, and uh, concise answers, right? Like don't elaborate on anything unless they ask you to. Don't uh, give sarcastic remarks or anything like that because any, like it's... It's kind of like how you get your Miranda rights read to you. Like anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law, which is 100% true because once NTSB does get involved, 90% chance this is going to court if they find someone uh, remotely responsible for the incident happening. Now, is this one thing? Is this with the NTSB? Can you have a lawyer with you while you're being questioned? I, I don't know if it's the same as like, like a normal court case i i don't know are you allowed to have a lawyer lawyer representation Ooh, that's a good question i myself don't know and yeah, i don't know that either i don't think the article discusses it either i would say if if uh, other legal entities get involved and you might want to do that or i think like uh there's going to come a point when the ntsb determines um an issue and they say hey you might want to get yourself a lawyer um but usually uh, with it, and this is me just uh, thinking out loud. I I want to say like with incidents involving NTSB, it's pretty cut and dry uh, as to who might be a causal issue. But uh, like you said, that that'd be a question uh, that we we should ask. Like for anyone out there, like are you allowed to have a lawyer with you when the NTSB is questioning you? And. Uh, this kind of goes into what we've been preaching in previous episodes is your logs and your documentation. All that stuff gets locked up to include your training records. And if your write-ups are vague or they don't have a whole lot of information, that leaves a lot of open questions. Uh, that leaves a lot of open-ended questions to be asked of you. So uh, like MVP and I have been preaching since the very beginning, like you got to make sure that your write-ups are to the T, uh, you know, they tell the story to the T, you know, like, don't give me like exact details of everything, but it, it gives me enough information where I don't have to ask questions because we're here, we're involved in an incident and your, and your write-ups may be the determining factor that keeps you from being uh, uh, guilty. Yeah, I mean, or, kill it with information. That's why I leave it to the point where nobody can ask questions. That's what I I, I always teach new guys. That's what I've been harping on here. Um, kill it with information. Uh, like I said, if anybody can come in or like six said, if you come in and they read NTSB is reading the logbook right up and it's you know performed performed INS GPS ops check INS GPS ops check good. Well, why did you have to perform that ops check? What was was there something wrong with it? I, there's no write up saying there was anything wrong with it. So you know, is that why the the plane flew into the side of a mountain because it was the INS GPS was acting up? What did you do that ops check in accordance with? Like, there's 
there's a lot more going on here than, you know, it, it's why I'm saying you got to make sure you're as complete and concise as possible Absolutely. because for these very reasons. Absolutely. And then if you used any support equipment in there, I mean, it wouldn't hurt to ha- to jab that in there into your, into your write-ups too, like perform servicing of hydraulic system, whatever the heck using serial number cart, whatever. And, and that just, it, it answers the question if should an investigation pop up and sometimes your write-ups is the one that's going to save you because your your mind may not recollect everything that happened, but your write-ups did. So they're asking you all these questions like, uh, what did you do? Why were you there? And all the other five W's and like, I don't know. I don't remember anything of that. All I remember is I did a job. I, I fill out my paperwork and I went home. And then they see the write-ups and it says, okay, did this, 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 this and that. Use this GC. Okay, check mark there. Check mark there. And they perform the investigation on all the stuff that you used. And then they determined that it wasn't you. And so you're free to go. And those little things uh, or that uh, those moments where it's, it feels the most painstakingly unnecessary could be the parts that uh, let you go off or let you uh, off the hook. And yeah, what, what you hate today and logbook write-ups could save your ass tomorrow in an investigation. Yes. And then here comes the analysis of the findings. Like after they've dug through and they've quizzed everybody and then they made everyone feel like they're guilty or make kind of like those indirect implications that you are guilty because we've all felt that before too. Like um, you kind of have this sense that you are uh, the one at fault and you kind of, and you feel that way just based off their questions and the second guessing of yourself. And you're not going to know what they, what they found until they start publishing their findings. And sometimes it depends on what it is. It can be months or years after the fact. But here comes their analysis of findings. And that's when they they take all the information gathered. They piece it together. They come up. They, they try to build the story uh, backwards. And um, they use all the technical terminologies and stuff like that. And then the report will provide a description of the accident, a review of all the factors that could have went into it an analysis of what they use to determine it and, and figure out a probable cause. Some of them, they may be a little bit more vague than others, but uh, there are times where I think we've mentioned it in previous episodes where the cause was a part being installed incorrectly back at factory, like so many months ago, right? And it just so happened to be the last hands that touched it before it went into the plane and up in the air. But until that point, you didn't know, like, Oh, fuck, was it me? I was the last one who touched it. Right, yeah, it could have been a manufacturing defect that finally showed itself through, but you wouldn't have known because all you do is install a component, but something internal that you have no no way of knowing, right, mm-hmm. you know, finally failed. That's a good point, like, with the in-depth of the investigations, like, depending on what component failed, they, the NTSB will be going to the manufacturer of that part and, and investigating the manufacturing process Yes, uh, to determine there's no other bad components out there floating around, or what the cause was. Right? Was it the actual component and and uh, poor manufacturing process, or or inadequate materials? Right? Um, that that caused the failure. For example, like uh, generators, right? On that you have on your motors. Um, there was a manufacturer for a specific airframe and engine. Uh, back when, and I won't, I won't use names or anything here, but 
the generator manufacturer went with uh, uh, cheaper vendors uh, who to source their parts from to build their generators, and generators were just failing left and right. Um, could didn't know why. It turns out the brushes that they had uh, gotten for their motors from that one of the cheaper manufacturers of the brushes. Um, those those brushes were just wearing out, cracking, breaking, um, degrading at a at an accelerated right because the material was less than uh acceptable right and it's one of those like you just won't know like you just see it's a generator it doesn't look damaged every all the checks are in place saying that it's working fine it it tested good on your initial run-ups and like uh, mvps alluded to some of these uh uh, brush failures you won't realize until maybe three four a couple thousand hours down the road and by that time you know you just may have been the the unlucky lottery winner to be that 1000th hour uh, threshold to induce that failure. Uh, some other ones are like with uh, O-rings, especially um, some O-rings, they, they crack or they weren't manufactured correctly. So they degrade a lot faster at pressure. They're not supposed to um, degrade at. And then, but that's something the NTSB board is for is to investigate these issues. Like, was it really the crew members or the technicians involved's fault? Or was it something far back that no one had eyes on and what can we do to fix it? And, and that's the whole point. But it's also one of those like when it's in, the investigation has your name attached to it. I'm like, ooh, you know, you start walking eggshells. You start quiz, quiz fucking yourself if you really were the cause. And, and whether you did the job right or not. And even the most A-type personality will have that bit of pressure like, I know, and you start arguing with yourself, like, I know I did that right. I 100% know I did. I followed the, the, the publication, the specifications to the T. I used the right equipment. I used the right stuff. But then once they start questioning you, right, all that doubt starts coming in. Like, did I really do that? What, did I use the right material? Was the, was the pliers that I used to safety wire, was it, was it worn out? Was it okay-ish? Or, was the O-ring grease that I used uh, expired? Holy yeah, crap, you know? Yeah. All these tiny questions start coming in because they're inducing that self-doubt because it's part of their job to investigate, get down to the root cause. But in the process of that, it's kind of, it, it sort of induces some level of guilt into you. <laughs> and, but that's the way the questions are designed as well. Mm-hmm. They're also, they're also made you to made, made for you to start questioning yourself. Yep. And, and, and a lot of it I can understand because some people, they're just committed to not admitting that they did something wrong. So you, you got to kind of ask the question or imply the question in a certain way to get them to break through that defense and have them really start um, wondering what they did or did not do that, it, that could have been involved in the incident. And once the investigation is over, they've, published, they've analyzed and, and finalized the results and then they publish their findings. Once the investigation is at its end point. They, it doesn't end with just determining what the cause was. They go into uh, some of the safety issues that were addressed in the fight in the fact finding. They start giving recommendations as to what you should or shouldn't do. And they stay in, they, they follow up. They say, here's, we want you to give us a corrective action. And then once that corrective action is received and approved, then they're going to follow up on it. So it's, just because the investigation is over doesn't mean that you're off the hook from the NTSB. I think that's with 
any organization like, oh, just because you, you've, you've been caught doing something wrong and you fixed it doesn't mean we're going to just say, okay, hunky-dory, everything's great. Have a nice day. They're going to check up on you. They're going to make sure that you're still doing it right, as anyone should. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a verification of the corrective actions, right? They're going to say, yes. okay, here's what we're going to do moving forward so we don't have these issues again. And they're going to go, the board, right, will go, the NTSB board will go, okay, sounds good. Uh, how long do you think it'll take you to get these implemented? Well, um, we expect it'll take us six to eight months or whatever, you know, using a number. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Um, we will check back with you in one year or six, to eight months to see if those are implemented. And then we'll do, we'll check back in six months after that to, to verify that what you said you were going to do is actually working or that you're doing what you said you were going to. Yep. Cause how many times have you and I have seen that, especially even at the lowest level, like say you as a lead or as a manager, you caught someone doing something wrong and you say, and they say, okay, you got me. Uh, I fucked up. I'll fix it. And then it's kind of like the toddler's version of I'm sorry, but they're not really sorry. They're just saying sorry, just so you shut up and get out of their face. <laughs> yep, exactly. And, and so this is at the agency level now too. So we're making sure that they're not just giving the, the safety boards and the cognizant agencies overseeing them, the toddler answer of, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. And then turn right around and do the exact same thing because we, we care more about uh, production and operation and revenue more than the safety of our people. Because, yeah, we're not stopping production. Go ahead and go ahead and write us up, fail us, but we're not stopping production. Okay. I guess you'll stop when the NTSB gets involved. Yes. And, and depending on the cognizant level or the severity of an incident, both the NTSB and the agency that's overseeing control and regulation of an organization can and will shut you down if the severity or of the incident is high enough or that your corrective actions to fix the problem is not adequate or you just blame you just not do shit at all. And you're like, you know what? Fuck you guys. We're going to do what the hell we want and just burn our people out until kingdom come. And, or like you said, nothing stops production. Just keep writing us the fails. Got you. Here's your, here's your letter of closure. And we're not going to, we're not going to stop until a, you fix it or all of you are out of a job. (laughs) Well, that's exactly right. Um, And typically, you know, in these types of situations, there are people at the top that are going to lose their jobs, especially if it's deemed to be like, oh yeah, we kind of knew this was happening. Oh, yeah, you're you're done. You're done. You're definitely done. Um, so um, this is like not really to scare people, but it's more along the lines like this is these exist for a reason, and it's because of we don't want repeated mishaps to be a, to be an all the time thing. We don't want you yet. We don't want people who are transporting or in the process of trip being of going places to have to worry about a plane or a truck going off the rails and then crashing into something. This, this is what these are for. And sometimes these are, are the last line of defense, I would say. These are like the last line of defense to ensure that incidents are caught or the causes of certain incidents are caught. So at the lowest level possible, we can fix them before they become a repeat reoccur issue. Yeah. If anybody, anybody listening has ever dealt with a car or a corrective action report before, this is a corrective action report on steroids. 
Yes. This is like, like it, this is one you can't just slough off. Absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like six it early. Yeah, yeah. Just we'll do this. Just whatever it takes for you to get out of my face so I can keep keep moving forward. No, no. This is one of those like, no, I'm in your face. You're going to answer me and your answers better be correct. Yep. And also, if the answers are correct, I'm going to check in and verify that uh, you're uh, you're a person of your word. Yes. And that you're going to do what you say you're going to do and that you're taking this seriously. Because if you get off, let's just say you get out, get out of jail free card this time, you will not the next time. Absolutely. So what does this mean to the average line mech? This means that uh, to make sure that your paperwork is in line. Make sure that you're uh, using your your equipment correctly, that you're reading the publications correctly. And if there's something wrong or your organization is pushing you to do something completely unsafe, that there's there's a, a check and balance to ensure that they're not only staying in line with regulations, but uh, there's a way to prevent an incident from happening. Now, I'm not saying to go rat out your boss to to a, a legal agency. But it's definitely something to keep in mind. Like, so if something you know is clearly unsafe and you know it's trending towards a major incident, it might be a good idea to to throw up that flag, that notification flag. Say, hey, um, there's an issue going on, and we need to put a stop to it before something drastic or catastrophic happens. Yep, agreed. Uh. Final thoughts on this one, MVP. I think we kind of beat that process up. I mean, besides actually yeah. having a full-on NTSB representative here to walk us through it. <laughs> Which actually would be pretty nice to do. Um, yeah, no. So we're a little bit of a shorter episode today. And, and the episode is not to scare anybody, but it's to uh, drive home the fact that uh, you, you got to take take a lot of your job seriously right we all like to just smoke and joke and have a good time but you you need to be serious with the work and the quality of work that you're outputting uh because the other side is you know if those things break or something happens in flight you're not really just pulling the plane over to the side of the road and, and saying oh you know i'll call triple a we'll get towed back to the hangar um oftentimes when things fail in flight it's um pretty severe and again we're not here to scare you but just to let you know of what the process is and what you can expect uh should you find yourself under investigation um and as six alluded to be open and honest um and admit admit if you were wrong right if you knew you were wrong admit it up front it'll say it's gonna suck initially i promise you it'll suck initially but it's far better to be open and honest up front than for them to figure it out on the back end after months and months of investigation and they come back to you and go, so uh, you want to want to revisit what you told us before? And we suggest you do because we know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. And they already have a pair of scissors in their hand ready to uh, dice up your license too. <laughs> oh, man. I've watched FA inspector cut somebody's, I think I've said it several times in here, but cut up their license in the middle of a ramp in the middle of their workday. And that was it. Yep. Game over. So for everyone else out there, if you, you've, if you've ever experienced an NTSB investigation and a process that was unique or worthy of sharing to everyone else out here, please reach out to us. Let us know uh, social medias on our website, by email, how, whichever way is easiest for you. Let us know. 
because we want this to be a continuous learning curve for everyone, including ourselves, because there may be some steps or process that we ourselves have not seen. And it's something worthy of all of us to know. So by all, by all means, and also if you've been uh, an NTSB representative, like uh, reach us to us as well. Let us know like what some of the things that we've missed or what some of the things that everyone else should know about the whole investigation and analysis process. Yeah, please, please divulge as much information to us as possible so we can get it out to everybody who works in the industry so we, uh, everybody can get a little bit smarter Absolutely. about what's going on. Absolutely. Uh, on that note, thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you guys next time. Bye everybody. We'd like to take this time to thank our patrons for supporting our show and allowing us to continue to make episodes, maintain our gear, and create merch for all of our listeners with special thanks to Erica Lamont, Chris Hawkins, Ryan Freshour, Dan Schubert, Jenny Dignan, and the ladies of the Dick Talk and Mimosas podcast. Thank you all so much for your support and patronage. Visit our shop at cancelformaintenance.com and grab some swag to show off both your support for us and your prowess as an aircraft technician. If you have ideas for the show or you'd like to be a guest on the show, visit our contact us section and send us a line. We will do what we can to get your ideas or yourself on the show. You can also follow us on social media, such as on Facebook at Cancel for Maintenance, Instagram at Kanks, that's C-A-N-X for Maintenance Podcast, or on Twitter at CXMX Podcast. Check out some of our affiliates like Rockwell Time, where they make both rugged and classy watches to fit your lifestyle. Use the code CX4MX and save 10% off your purchase. Support us on Patreon. Our patrons get exclusive perks such as access to our Discord, discounts and early access to merch, special patron-only episodes, and so much more. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.